0: But beyond that, I, I just don't see any value in this business. And other than an acquisition arbitrage opportunity, like I, I would kind of steer clear personally. I
1: kind of feel that like gaming is following some recent bubbles that we've seen and at least Canadian exchanges. We saw it in cannabis. It would just be uneducated for me to even consider making some kind of investment
2: into this without first becoming a bit of a gambling degenerate and then maybe we'll be back, who knows. You invest in penny stocks, don't you? What's up, everybody? Welcome back. This is episode eight of the Beyond the Edge podcast. This week, we continue our quest for growth stocks, quality growth stocks under a $10 billion market cap. We've got Pete Polarchio, resident trend tracker, Declan O'Flaherty, Mr. Fundamentals, keeping us laser-focused on the financials. I, myself, and Kev Matheson, a.k.a. Small Cap Kev. If you guys don't know, we record every Thursday, drop an episode every Sunday. Make sure you follow along. This week, we got a lot for you. We're going to start this off with a failed acquisition attempt by Amazon trying to buy iRobot. Then we're moving on to Bragg Gaming signing a distribution deal for a bunch of their online casino games, finishing with a very, very, very large $30 billion bid for Paramount Global uh, from Byron Allen. So boys, we have much to discuss. We're going to jump right into Amazon and iRobot. Now I'm familiar with these Roombas. Um, they've cruise around your house, they bump into things in the night, scare your cat and occasionally get stuck and have to be retrieved before continuing on their programmed journey. Never owned one myself, though they do seem interesting. Um, Lots to talk about the company, however. Pete, I'm just kind of curious, do you have any views on this, on this company? What does this look like from a trend perspective? What are your overall views on these guys?
1: Yeah, I mean, from a trend tracker perspective, Uh, If your mortgage costs just went up by 40%, are you dropping $1,700 on a robot vacuum? Probably not, and no no one else is either, guys. Uh, Sales are going absolutely the wrong way. They just had a brutal quarter. Uh, I do not think this was a regular... Issues, I I think uh, Amazon's using that as a complete scapegoat. This deal got repriced six months ago, and I think they just saw where the stock is at today and the way things are going. And they said, here's 94 million bucks. We're out Uh, whether they come back in. I don't know that that's remains to be seen. Uh, I'm looking forward to this discussion, actually, on this topic of where it's priced at now. But um, the head of the EU competition committee, Margaret Vediger, she, yeah, she flat out said that, you know, our job is to like put out the problems and Amazon's job is to kind of come back and remedy those or debunk them or come back with a plan. And I think she was left on red. So Declan, what do you think?
0: Yeah, so I really second that, Pete. I think overall, Amazon is probably really grateful that this deal didn't go through and they should be thanking the EU for it not happening. I mean our Ro- iRobot has kind of been a fledgling uh, robotics company, surviving on a legacy product that was first introduced in 2002. And you know, for many of us, it, the Roomba is probably like our first introduction to household robotics, but they haven't really been able to do anything beyond that for the most part. And kind of like you said, I think when interpreting the deal when it first came out back in 2022 was that Amazon was really looking to acquire it for its proprietary technology, um, whether that's its expertise in navigating and mapping systems or just the AI software in general. But you know, over time, as things have developed, I think it's been quite clear to Amazon that they could probably do this on their own and didn't need to acquire a subsidiary in order to integrate that IP back into the business. Um, But beyond that, what I really think this is a bigger reflection of is the robotics industry in general. And when you think about it, a lot of these highly touted companies, whether it's Tesla's autonomous driving, or the Optimus robot, or even Apple's autonomous driving and the like, these companies have really struggled to, I think, reach their ultimate goal of building autonomous robotics that can kind of operate without human oversight. And where I think this extends to is that it's less of a hardware problem and more of a software problem you see the thing is with these uh robotics that are trained on machine learning models is that they struggle to real in or uh, learn in real time they uh, fail to take in context and they can't really cooperate with other robots outside of their own domain and so for these reasons they've had a real difficult time of really integrating them into the real world and so whether they continue on this path or not What these businesses are realizing is that there may not be a long-term solution that, at least in their current trajectory, they are going to be able to overcome and solve these issues. Now, interesting enough, this is where something like maybe versus AI and active inference could come into play, but overall, when it comes to this deal and the future of robotics, I think there's a lot of issues that need to be addressed before anyone really breaks through and builds the type of devices that we think and we see all the time in these sci-fi fantasies.
2: Well, these um, certainly aren't something of sci-fi fantasies, you know, a little robot that bumps into your furniture as it cruises around (laughs) your house scaring your animals. Um, You know, I see a business where I would say there's a lot of value in the name Roomba. I think most people will be familiar with that. The company name iRobot, I don't think holds as much of an intangible value as that one product. And what I can't help but see is a company that I feel like lost, almost lost its way where they created a hit product where, let's be honest, the Roomba is absolutely a hit product. It redefined, redefined an industry. Maybe that's a little bit too much praise for them, but it it really defined a product that I think a lot of people didn't know could exist and Mm -hmm. they really lost their scope from creating these robotic vacuums to let me just read part of their about section they design build they Mm -hmm. sell robots and home innovation products they offer floor care products families of automatic floor mopping robots accessories consumables handheld vacuum portable vacuum air purifier root robots to help children learn how to code create you you get my point it's right
1: yeah Yeah. 100 this when i look at this when i look at the history of this business they had a really cool product basically owned the entire market Mm -hmm. um and saw kind of growth as more people saw these things they weren't seeing a lot of growth even in 2021 in north america but europe middle east and africa they were seeing substantial growth as well as you know uh asia so that was great and they Somehow in their investor deck addressed this as a $16 billion industry and then started looking at product diversification. And in their product diversification of where they see their market opportunity, I'm not kidding, Lawnmower is on there. I don't know what they were thinking. Uh, They have smart speakers, (laughs) smart plugs, smart thermostats, and then home security, smart door locks. These guys thought they were going to take over the world, I guess. And likely, you know, with the success that they had during kind of the e-com boom of 2021, invested in all of these things. Because as soon as this um, deal, the plug got pulled, they laid off 30% of their staff which I'm assuming a lot of these projects are getting cut, and rightfully so, because I was also completely shocked to kind of see the children's learning they had on the vacuum website. I don't know who spearheaded that. (laughs) I I hope they're part of the 30%, guys. It's called the computer. Yeah, they're gone. gone. Like, like, sorry, sorry, Uh, you, you gotta be gone. Yeah, I mean, so that brings me to the point like now that you know they, they may have got excited with the profits they were making in 2021 probably got very excited with amazon uh purchasing them at that 61 dollar a share mark probably launched some things they had to take on 200 million dollars of debt to keep the lights on yeah. and then that's when this deal got repriced six months ago and then i think they just kind of kept going the wrong way mm-hmm. so completely misread the market but if they right size and go back to their car- core product and they're still doing $200 million a quarter in revenue, you know, are they actually undervalued? There's something there. I mean,
2: there's certainly value in what they've built, something that I was curious about. So one of the key reasons the regulators didn't bless this acquisition is because they said it would give Amazon the ability to basically favor their own products at the expense of everybody else listed on, on Amazon. So I just mm-hmm. took a, did a quick little search for, um, what did I type, robot vacuums on Amazon. And there are so many of them now. And the Roombas aren't even at the top. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So they currently don't have like a a top position on Amazon as it is. And the pricing competition, I think almost, you know, the majority of the vacuums that I saw on there were being heavily discounted. So I think you're in a space where it's it's getting more and more competitive that I think that almost needed to go to a strategic buyer. Because Mm -hmm. I know you guys were saying, maybe the amazon breathed a sigh of relief paid the 94 million dollar breakup fee and was like you know thank goodness i'm glad that i'm not part of that i don't mm-hmm. know if i totally agree because when you think about a strategic acquirer there's always little there's always I'll call them synergies or growth opportunities you may not think about. And one thing I thought about this, think about the core technology of Roomba, of the ability to scan your room, understand what kind of space you're living in. It knows where you're living by, it could easily have a GPS in there or when you log in and select your location. It could also know what Bluetooth devices in your, in your house. It could connect with Alexa. I think I could just see a lot of intelligence gathering that Amazon would probably be drooling over. Now maybe I'm just being paranoid and thinking too far into this, but I don't know. I, with a strategic like that, I, I can't help but believe there was a lot more on the table than just the just the technology.
0: Uh, just just like on that note, Kev, I think I think that brings up kind of a point about the technology itself, and this is perhaps like why I I do see somebody like Amazon almost being grateful that this deal didn't come through. Is I agree, yes, the data is important, and I think for a long time you know, iRobot and, and through the Roomba had kind of established how you could have smart devices in a home beyond just say like the, the speaking Alexas and um, you know, the Google Talk and all these things. But this is where the problem I, th- I see it being is that if these models continue to operate using neural networks and machine learning, they're gonna continue, like there's not much differentiation. And so yeah, they've collected a lot of data But I think if you want something that's a, let's say it's in the cleaning field, you want an all purpose robot that can just clean your house all the time. It takes care of all, say, all the main chores, anything that you don't want to do, where they're going to run into issues is that these robots fail to understand their context very well. And also look at the bigger picture. You know, something like a Roomba, uh, Roomba has a very specific design. It is set to like follow this input that it has been given. And ultimately stick to that, but can never really adapt beyond that. And that's where you know, again, may, you know, all these products, say, vac- robotic vacuums, have come into the market. There's not much differentiation, and I can't see something like even Roomba, despite maybe the brand um, being that much valuable or like that much more valuable beyond what it already is. So I think that's kind of like to your point, um, where the data is important, and they have. A lot, about, a lot of it, as well as the brand, but how is this technology really going to evolve in the next little while? I don't really see them being able to differentiate from that standpoint. Did we
2: say uh, lawnmower? I don't think it was. In,
1: yeah. <laughs> we said lawnmower because Declan, you said some really, I think bright things about robotics in the future there, and that there might be some value in the technology that they have that was nowhere to be found in their pipeline of growth. So um, one of the first things when I kind of looked at this, when you guys brought it up as a topic to talk about today, um, yeah, I I dove right in. First thing I thought, customer lifetime value and what is it, Mm -hmm. right? Um, There's no servicing on these things, so they needed some product diversification or really great unit economics and then just overall kind of growth of the market now they did actually have in their pipeline what kev brought up which was connected devices that they thought that that's how they get people on more of a subscription fee and i think maybe it fit into kind of the amazon wheelhouse that way because in their in their kind of pipeline when they say thermostats well amazon already has that with ecobee and it already has an Alexa integration, they have home security. Mm -hmm. Well, Amazon got into that a long time ago, right? Right. So they definitely saw maybe that opportunity of some type of monthly subscription model. It was in, you know, a recent investor presentation of part of their pipeline of how they thought they could expand their customer lifetime value. But did they miss the mark on it? Absolutely. And I think, you know, that the time to Look at investing in that and hitting it has come and gone. That's not happening. So I, I don't know if they don't get back to basics of selling really good robotic vacuums. I don't think it looks bright in in the near term future. And I'm sure they have some reevaluation to do internally on how they're going to respond to shareholders and what their plan is. Hmm. Well, we we saw an announcement
2: recently, and I'm just I'm looking here at the the chart, and it's <laughs> it is not a great looking chart, and. One thing I'll say is, I think we can all agree, even if Amazon, whether they wanted it or not, 1.7 billion probably wasn't the right price. That was probably grossly mm-hmm. expensive. And in that sense, they're probably like, you know, sigh of relief. Um, yeah. but, but but yeah, it's it, it, it remains to be seen what they do with this, or what happens mm-hmm. to this company. Um, its existence is certainly not a guaranteed. And, and Pete, like what you said, um, about getting back to basics, so they announced a plan to essentially restructure the company. CEO stepped down. They want to bring in somebody with more turnaround experience, and just like you said, thirty-one percent of the workforce out the door, and they're doing a lot more initiatives to basically save everything they can, um, because you look you look at the financials, and you know you don't see like a, a company in massive crisis. But I mean it when I say their, their future like is not guaranteed. Like They are cutting it close. They basically can't continue to lose money like this or they will be gone. So they're making the right moves to clean things up. I wonder if they make these moves and in the time that they're doing this turnaround, let's say, does Amazon come back or does somebody else come back? Maybe it's at a very different valuation, but I still do feel like an acquisition being acquired is the most likely path for this company's survival. I think it needs to get bigger. Yeah.
1: I I agree that it, it, fundamentally, these guys have been around for a long time. I think they got caught up in some really great years and really took up kind of a bad strategy of growth. It, it wasn't there. They lost kind of the revenue. They probably had some really bad forecasting done, but you know, it, it, they got to this size for a reason. People probably, I, I don't have the product. I looked at it once for my office and thought, eh whatever. I have a Dyson at home. It's awesome. Yeah, I would invest in that company if I could. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's amazing. But uh, yeah, I don't think fundamentally it's bad. I think they had an interesting kind of couple of years, but if they can get back to basics, it probably looks a little undervalued.
0: Yeah. I, like When I look at this business, I I see a moat that is under a lot of pressure right now. As you guys said, again, you look on the Amazon store right now, the Roomba is not even at the top of their flagship product. Um, beyond that, again, I really I really think this is a, a transformational period overall. Again, there's been a lot of hype with AI, and iRobot is a perfect candidate to benefit from that. But the problem is, is that we are facing problems in a lot of these technologies that we are striving to achieve. And a company that is solely focused on robotics like this needs to have not so much the hardware because yes the hardware is important but it's the software that is ultimately going to set a company apart in this field and I just don't see based on capital based on expertise or any of that matter Roomba and iRobot being able to achieve that so I you know maybe they're acquired for their IP and the data that they do have but beyond that I, I just don't see any value in this business and um, other than an acquisition arbitrage opportunity, like I I would kind of steer clear personally.
1: I mean, Declan, yeah, I wouldn't mind hearing a little bit more on that because obviously you're well-versed on robotics and autonomous. Is there any leverage with something that's autonomous in your house and how that could be leveraged to a car? Or is that just not a data set that kind of overlaps?
0: Well, I, th- I think it's just more the, the principal foundation of how the, the software is developed. Again, the, you can refer back to kind of how um, we discussed about, say, active inference AI and how that works mm-hmm. in, in opposition to machine learning, deep learning, and neural networks. And I think that's just where the fundamental issue lies is that, again, you're not going to trust a, a device to operate completely by itself unless you can have full confidence that it's gonna act in a way that is optimal and is not gonna put people at risk or behave in a way that, again, just causes any form of risk of that nature. And the problem is, the reason why Apple, Tesla, all these companies that are touting that they're building autonomous vehicles haven't been able to bring a product to market is because you can code a car to, like with all the data that Tesla has in the world, you can code it to drive on these, on these roads, it can use GPS technology, it can access the internet, it can do all these things. But the moment, say a deer runs onto the road or a person jaywalks or something unexpected, something random that you can't take into account in the data set as it happens in real time, these products struggle to adapt and respond accordingly to that situation. And we don't need AI to be like humans, but we do need it to act in a way that is going to make decisions similar to how we would respond in those random events. And that's ultimately where something like Active Inference AI is able to offer a solution that actually remedies this. So that's where I'm saying, if if these legacy robotics companies, which pretty much everyone is, focus continues to focus on machine learning they're going to be stuck in this loop where they're always running into the same problems no matter how much data they have no matter how much computing power they have until they find a new solution and approach through that software angle and that that's where again I just don't see sure like a Tesla may be able to adapt and evolve and potentially like embrace this new technology but a company like iRobot just doesn't have the capital or the team to be able to do such a thing and so um, you know, maybe maybe that's where if they if they do try and adopt that might be their only saving grace, but that's a, that's all I can see from it.
2: Yeah, fair point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well said. Um, yeah, the the only thing I'd say is that iRobot is most likely a company that made a made a robot vacuum, owned the market for a while and then may just disappear. What but mm-hmm. um, the part that gets me excited is the fact of all this chit chat about spatial computing. You know, we've talked about Versus. Obviously, they were kind of one of the first public, probably the the first public company to even really talk about it as far as I've made aware about spatial computing. Apple with its new headset, Mm -hmm. they refuse to call it virtual reality. They call it spatial computing. Um, Big post, (laughs) the era of spatial computing is here. Um, So the only thing that makes me really curious about this company, uh, not the only thing, but one of the major things is what kind of data do they have? Have these little things been cruising around people's Mm -hmm. homes for the last, whatever, 20-something years, 21 years, and collecting massive amounts of data on where everybody lives and what kind of um, electric appliances they have and and who knows what other data? That could be very significant. Mm -hmm. You just mapped out homes of millions and millions of people for these spatial computing companies that would love to have that data. So I still think there's some big tech company that swoops in, Possibly at the last second. Um, But that's really the only outcome I see. That's really the best outcome I see for these guys. The other is just slash and burn,
1: focus, and hopefully start growing again. Yeah, I guess. I mean, um, I love talking about data, guys. Declan, I really (laughs) enjoyed what you just said there. Uh, You're right. Machine learning with data sets, all the data in the world, let's say if you were to go autonomous, can only get predictive to a point. You're absolutely right. And that's still what makes us human. And, you know, some of these platforms still platforms, right? If it hasn't seen that instant of some of the examples you brought up, like a deer running across, it doesn't necessarily know how to react until it's too late that you hit deer and you say hitting deer was bad and causing this accident was bad and and won't do it next time. So that's, (laughs) you know, a pretty significant risk. In terms of what crumbs were on the ground in my house, I don't know, guys. Where do we leverage that? I know we can't talk about this forever, but I'd be curious for us to maybe think about it on our own time about who could value that and why. We'll come back to this then.
2: Mm -hmm. Um, iRobot, good luck to you. Um, What are the odds that Amazon just hires all 300 people and (laughs) creates a competitor in-house? We'll see. We'll see. The, The Bezos special. The Bezos special. <laughs> so iRobot, Amazon, good luck to you both. Yep. Um, moving on, Bragg Gaming. Uh, Peter, that's mm-hmm. over in your neck of the woods. Actually, a downtown Toronto company. They have pivoted over the years, but essentially now the, their big, their main focus is creating online casino games. Um, and the recent news that we're covering today is that Digitain someone who's a a leading provider of sports books and casino platforms in the industry, they signed uh, a distribution partnership with Bragg. Now 500 of their quote unquote thrilling games are gonna now be uh, distributed through the Digitain platform. So certainly a good news. Uh, I think that's a story that brought this company to our attention. I don't think that's necessarily the story we're gonna go crazy into, but I am curious about this company. Declan, Mr. Fundamentals, why don't you kick
0: it off this time? We want to give us some thoughts about uh, about Bragg. What do you think sure. of these guys? Yeah, sounds good. I'm a, kind of be a Debbie Downer, I guess, this episode here. But, I, you know, my bet really is that uh, this company won't last. And the hype around gambling in general is uh, very short term. First of all, I love how on their website they uh, they promote that their business grew at a 60 percent compound annual growth rate from 2019 to 2021 but uh my question (laughs) to brag is what happened after that because it's not looking too pretty so um can't brag maybe they need an update to the old website yeah no kidding right (laughs) so um but uh moving on just anyways like i i look at the gambling market as kind of a bigger reflection of call it the general nature or general human nature and as well as just the economy in general you know, after COVID happened and the pandemic broke out, the U.S. government injected over $3 trillion in cash into the economy and people were stuck at home. They had nothing to do and they had some spare change to put to work. And, you know, this went just beyond households but as well businesses. And what this causes when you have this influx of cash is an increase in irrational behavior, let's say, where you're willing to take on more risk because again, this cash was free. You didn't, you didn't have to work for it. It's not part of your livelihood. You just benefited from there being additional capital available. And so what are you gonna do? Well, you might gamble it on a gaming online gaming platform. You might buy cryptocurrency, you might buy NFTs. All these different markets, they essentially shot up, including stocks. And it, it's more just a reflection of how humans behave and the cyclical nature of it all. And you know, we go from periods of greed to fear and back again all the time. And I really do believe that we're still in a period of greed overall. You know, Again, 2021 was a prime example of it, but then we had a correction in 2022. But I don't really think that cleared out all of, I don't wanna say bad actors, but not necessarily businesses that deserve the valuations they have. And we're kind of returning back to that period. And I really just see the gambling market as a product of that overall. So when it comes to Bragg and the business itself, you know, they create online games, they have a ridiculous array, um, uh, like in terms of the number of assets and how they can really differentiate from the big players, I I don't see it. So if, if things kinda, you know, shit hits the fan and the stock market tumbles or the economy kinda tanks, People pull back the amount that they're willing to spend on these websites. I don't really see brag lasting, and um, you know, I guess on the bright side, maybe some of these bigger players with a lot of capital could uh, come in and scoop up and potentially consolidate the the market overall. But I just don't see it as a as okay. a good investment.
1: Yeah, I mean, interesting in terms of gaming is gaming viable, and is it gambling going to be here forever and the statement, the house always wins, true? Yeah, for sure. Like, that's happening. I don't know. Declan, have you ever been to Vegas? You old enough
0: to go to Vegas? I have, <laughs> but when I was, before, before uh, yeah. I was of age. <laughs> how, like, yeah. Uh,
1: how do you think it was built off people's lost money, right? So, but I'm sure it's all people because it is it's it's very it, much right? a Bible, is it? <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, that is interesting you bring that because, like, I, I do like doing some sports betting on a couple things mm-hmm. on football golf, UFC, that's it, the only things I like betting on. Makes it a little bit more fun, stay within my limits, all of that great stuff. Um, their angle's a little different here. I don't understand the allure of playing a virtual slot machine, but I don't understand the allure of playing any slot machine. So, I mean, I think they're a little bit more positioned there, it seems. The content deal that they're done is, is interesting um i kind of see this yeah it's kind of another recent bubble though gaming in general right a lot of these guys who have rushed to public markets and someone will eventually own this space i don't know if if this is the player um yeah i I don't know i also think um this one kev i don't know if you have a second to pull it up but this one looked like an rto as well which i don't always love like their history is a lot longer than what gaming is so oh interesting yeah Mm -hmm. so i I would double check that one look yeah
2: worth checking. I know the, the core of this business was an acquisition of a company called Onyx. So it's perhaps that was the, the RTO. It's I, I can take a look after and dig into yeah. that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I know there was a core acquisition which shaped okay. this business. So that, that could have been I that.
1: kind of feel that gaming is following some recent bubbles that we've seen in at least Canadian exchanges. We saw it in cannabis. Uh, I think cannabis today is as uh, publicly traded market cap is worth far less than before it ever went legal. Uh, we saw a big boom mm-hmm. in, in, in psychedelics, which I think has a much brighter future ahead eventually. And you're kind of seeing it in gaming. You kind of see it in these, ooh, these exciting industries that were once kind of underground and black market coming to life and we can all make money off of them and they get hot. Mm-hmm. But they're only worth so much at the end of the day. So some someone's going to come out ahead. Mm-hmm. Um, I just don't know when and I don't know if it's these guys judging by everything I'm seeing.
2: Mm-hmm. I, I've never gambled at all you know I've, I've played poker with friends I played blackjack a couple times at casinos and I think I have put a grand total of 40 bucks <laughs> into slot machines saw absolute got absolutely no thrill from it and decided never to do it again I do however know how addictive these online casino games can and I actually have close friends who've without saying much have gone in very deep on these things so right. I know the power of that Declan great point about being stuck home in the pandemic and wanted to click some buttons online and trade some stocks and read Reddit, that sounds like the perfect storm. Mm-hmm. Um, for these guys, their revenue, give them credit that's grown over year, over the year. So it's it's a growing business, albeit not at a blistering pace. They've actually got decent margins, like off the top gross margins, like almost 50%. So mm-hmm. whatever you think of the business is actually a half decent margin and it's the SGNA pretty much, or no, not pretty much. It eats through all of it and then a little bit some, but though they're a net loss company, it's not a big net loss. It's like a bit over a million a month. If you're looking at the recent three months, if you look at the last nine months, it's a little bit less than that. So it's a company where you could see break even, possibly net profit in the future. So I don't think I share the massive doom and gloom uh, that you have of thinking they're going to go out of business, but yeah. I think they're going to be cutting it close yeah. where I do think there is the opportunity is for them to get acquired by somebody. Mm-hmm. So there, I believe it's their second largest shareholder um, on the cap table, wrote a letter to the management, pitching them on, on seeking acquisition opportunities mm-hmm. and gave a lot of comparables of other companies that have been acquired um, looking at the multiples. And he basically came to the conclusion that he thinks the stock could be uh close to three times higher than it is now, uh, under a fairly reasonable assumption for an acquisition. And he actually identified a few targets that he think could could um, make the play. So there's kind of your positive catalyst to the upside. Negative mm-hmm. catalyst to the downside is that actually, is it their largest? Let's see what I wrote in my note. I think it's their largest, um, yeah, it's their largest customer, Bet City, which is Dutch. Um, it was acquired by a London stock exchange company called Entain, much larger company. I think their market cap's somewhere Five billion or so and within the next couple years they're actually going to be eliminating uh the majority of business going towards Bragg. so they've got this negative this positive as well so it's a very unclear stock one thing that is for sure is that if they're going to keep burning cash you know at this rate their cash isn't going to last a whole lot longer they they aren't exactly flush Mm -hmm. so it's uncertain
0: yeah it's uncertain yeah well and just to like second that kev I think you're spot on in terms of like the acquisition and that's kind of what I was saying with the, uh, you know, if if it is a down market, it could be in a a good market like this, Um, but in the event that a down market happens, they are a perfect acquisition opportunity Uh, from that standpoint and then you know like to your point about the gross margins and everything it is a software business so once the games are built there's not a lot of like maintenance and everything that goes into it behind that thing my question on that side of it is really like why do you need 500 games i don't know how many of those are like concentrated into slots or whatever but uh like how much of that is your or is your revenue being cannibalized by your own products is a is kind of one thing that comes to mind there and then just the last point to make on my end is that you know gambling is not going away the the whole market itself there there's a lot of money to be had and like you said it is addictive there's a reason that people go into it and you know if you do it responsibly it can be a lot of fun and so there's always going to be a market for it it's just a matter of i think the sign of the times right now, and what people think about it. And just to put into context, actually, so I have a friend who started a business on TikTok. And he basically promotes this sports betting affiliate. And I can't remember which one it is. But he made over $100,000 in one month, just promoting these sports affiliates through TikTok. Wow. And so there's clearly like a lot of money to be had. And you can take advantage of it. But I just see, like, as a publicly traded business, as as Five is looking at Bragg, like, it's really hard for me to consider that as the play I would make in this industry when there's much bigger players like DraftKings or even um, who was it that just uh, IPO'd this past week here? FanDuel? Flutter? Yeah, yeah, FanDuel, yeah. FanDuel. They and 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 like if you look at FanDuel's financials, like they are cash flow positive, they're profitable all the they have such a better financial position than a company that like Bragg where you know sure maybe the valuation since Bragg is smaller you could benefit from the upside if they really built a strong business model but I if I was to choose in this market I would probably pick something that is a lot more secure because I don't think this hype is gonna last and the question is you know, it's the old Warren Buffett saying, like, you only know who's swimming naked when the tide runs out. And I think a lot of these businesses that are benefiting right now, when that time's come, they're going to have their pants down and they're going to be wondering what the heck to do. And hopefully, an acquirer comes around and buys up what they can.
1: Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it was tough having this conversation with two guys that don't know the excitement of hitting a seven way parlay on Sunday, but yeah, <laughs> this is take your sides. Yeah. Thank you.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's one of those things at the end of the day, since we're talking about Warren Buffett, is invest in what you understand. I've never put any money into an online casino game. I have no idea what this excitement is. So for me, it would just be uneducated for me to even consider making some kind of investment into this without first becoming a bit of a gambling degenerate and then, hey. Maybe we'll be back. Who knows? Hey, it goes. You, invest in penny, you invest in penny stocks, don't you? <laughs> touche. Touche. I feel like I, I understand those a lot better than I I feel like I like my odds better, but huh, who knows? Yeah. But yeah, fair point. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, uh, enough about online gaming. Final topic of the day today. Paramount Global. If anybody here subscribes to Paramount Plus, I think I did for a total of two weeks. <laughs> um, mega, mega acquisition offer coming from Byron Allen big media mogul. Uh, one of the assets he owns is the Weather Network, among many other things. The deal itself, he, he um, approached the company to buy all the equity for about, I think it's about 14, 15 billion dollars. And then there's another 15 or so billion of debt. Um, it's one of those companies with a dual share class. I hate that. Mm-hmm. Uh, one voting, one not. I think that's a total, that's a. I hate that. <laughs> Red flag immediately. But <laughs> forget it for now. Uh, He offered about a 50% premium though. So it's a pretty sizable uh, premium for existing shareholders. Interestingly Mm -hmm. enough, though, the stock moved, it's still closed at 1468. So does this mean people don't think this deal is going to happen? Is it not being taken seriously? Is there something I'm missing? So Mm
0: -hmm.
2: I'm not sure because that seems like a pretty attractive offer. For a strategic like him, given that kind of premium, he must see a million synergies. Um, mm-hmm. I know he's going to be selling off a lot of the assets, but does the market not think it's going to happen, Pete? What are you thinking?
0: Yeah,
1: it kind of seems that way. I mean, overall, this uh, industry in general seems like it's something you just don't want to be a part of as an outsider. It's certainly not what it what it used to be. But yeah, that that's kind of same kind of the way it's sig- signaling, Declan. What are you thinking?
0: Yeah. I mean, like kind of speaking about Warren Buffett early on his career, he made a killing on acquisition arbitrages like this. And for the most part, like, as I've kind of observed these opportunities, whether that was like Elon Musk, uh, purchasing Twitter or even like Amazon buying iRobot, or there was the potential merger between spirit airlines and JetBlue, you know, there's a lot of recent examples that can kind of help bring some perspective to these opportunities. Now, that being said, I'm actually pretty interested in this deal and really considering whether to make an investment or not. Um, really? This may be Ooh. only one of the few short-term plays that I would ever make, um, and short-term meaning anything less than two years. Um, as you guys said, from a long-term standpoint, I'm not really sold on the business when it has over $16 billion in debt and its interest payments are at 900000000 million. I'm not trying to hold this business for the long term. But from an acquisition standpoint, it is quite attractive. Like you said, Kev, there's about a 50% premium to the current market cap. And obviously, Byron or Brian Allen, sorry if I botched his name, but um, yeah, Byron Allen, sorry, um, You know he's well versed in this market and understands probably the value of paramount better than most of us would and so with him saying that he's comfortable buying not only the the equity position but all of the debt as well is a clear indication that he's in it for this business's assets and in the long run but again i'm not trying to make this investment from a long-term play if i'm trying to buy this i'm trying to bank on this deal going through and mm-hmm. so I think it's important to understand more the risks association or associated with acquisition arbitrage. Um, you know, for one, and this is a prime example of what happened with Amazon and iRobot is you could be blocked for antitrust regulation or mm-hmm. reasons where they think that okay, potentially, like even in this instance, this is probably the most likely risk because uh, Allen Group is already a pretty big media conglomerate. They may go ahead. Like the regulators may say, "Hey, this deal is not going through. You'll have too much of a competitive advantage uh, mm-hmm. purchasing this business." On top of that, you could the business could or the deal could also be severely delayed, like these. So iRobot's, I think you mentioned Kev was like one po- or uh, eighteen months or something like that. If yeah, this, eighteen months. If this, yeah, if this deal goes from if 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 this deal happens in one year, it is very attractive. But if this gets stretched out and it goes over two three four years before it finally comes to fruition this is a lot less attractive and that's kind of like say what happened with microsoft and activision where it it was extended and the attractiveness of this investment um, becomes a lot less over time so either way that these have sorry one last point is that you know a business could go under in the meantime before the deal actually happens i don't really see that happening with paramount itself you know they like yeah they have a lot of debt but historically they have been profitable aside from say like this most recent trailing 12 months and they have been growing revenue they still have ample cash on their balance sheet and so i don't i don't think they're in a position where they they'll face a liquidity or bankruptcy crisis so um that's not a big deal but Regardless, if any of these risks occur, what's probably going to happen is the stock price is, is going to tank, and that's really like the big risk that you have to understand here is if news doesn't come through that the deal is happening, and especially existing shareholders were banking on it happening, um, that's going to tank the stock price. So that that's kind of the risk that exists with these deals. But that being said. Because of the positioning of Paramount, the brand, as well as the assets that it has, I don't see the bankruptcy risk. Um, you know, it it could get delayed, and if ultimately like it's blocked for antitrust reasons, like I, I see that as less of a risk than something. Even you know, I was honestly surprised Microsoft was able to acquire Activision. So, mm. um, it, comparing it from that standpoint, this is probably the most attractive acquisition arbitrage opportunity I've seen personally, and. I'll have to do more digging to really like see because, in the end, if it doesn't go through, I still own those shares. So, I either have to decide if I'm going to sell them or I think there's enough value in the business that it's worth holding on to beyond, beyond that period. So, yeah.
2: You know, this reminds me of kind of makes me think of our conversation about Dish. Mm-hmm. Big legacy company. Everybody knows it. They've got this TV business that juices cash flow, but it's, you know, reducing and, and, Number of subscribers. Then they have these kind of new age platforms. In this case, Paramount Plus, that is growing. It's expensive. Um, it, it has a lot of similarities to that. And I know with uh, this recent acquisition offer, I, I couldn't I couldn't find the article on my desktop here. I, I had it earlier. I must have closed it. But I think the intention was to sell off a lot of the assets and then really focus in on <laughs> Paramount Plus. So my yeah. guess would be the main reason for that is well, one probably gonna have to borrow a lot of money to get this done. So he'll need something to pay it back. Um, but two, mm-hmm. I'm guessing that they're anticipating a lot of regulator scrutiny because in my opinion, you know, I-, I think acquisition arbitrage, Hey, Warren, good job for making a lot of money in your day. I think that's just becoming less and less, um, Attractive in the sense you see Amazon and iRobot, that was 18 months, and then they terminated it. Intel Tower yeah. Semiconductor, 18 months, then they terminated it. Adobe and Figma, 15 months, and then they terminated it. I think it's just these regulators have poured a um, icy cold glass of water on the acquisition space. So mm-hmm. that kind of scares me. And I think that may very well be what we're seeing in the share price. People are saying, oh my God, not another one. Like, good luck getting through the regulators. I just don't believe it. So I wonder if yeah. that's what's going on.
1: It makes me nervous. Take, this is also generally speaking, like media and media conglomerates are actually a lot more heavily scrutinized by regulators. Mm -hmm. And even though the capitalist in me is really into free market, this is one of the ones where I think regulators should exist, that uh, Mm -hmm. there should be a little bit of differentiation amongst media, because otherwise you get way too many corporations that have maybe their say on certain narratives. I'm not necessarily talking about just, let's say, Paramount in general Uh, north of the border here in Canada. We see this with the CRTC often with kind of our mm-hmm. two biggest conglomerates with Bell and Rogers, you'll see them when they're trying to acquire some of the other players. CRT says, fine, go sell property X, Y, and Z. Um, yeah. So I think, you know, overall media conglomerates are heavily scrutinized when, you know, M&A comes into the space. I, you know, I think, uh, Kev, what you were saying and Declan as a risk of going under, no, because I kind of believe in some of the assets that are here. Mm-hmm. Banking on paramount plus as the way to go is not something i would like hearing if i was a a shareholder today just because that's the streaming wars are kind of crazy overall um yeah. paramount plus was actually the one where i drew the line on subscriptions <laughs> when uh my wife wanted to get it um you know for one show and i was like no we're, we're not doing it I, I have too many of these i got netflix hbo max um some other ones and i was like this is this is just the one that we do not need so i Thank was willing you. to draw the line at 9.99 a month and just not do it yeah. yeah
2: i think i yeah. had paramount for a couple of weeks i watched what was it the uh it was the halo series mm-hmm. which i had such mm-hmm. expectations for and it was like yeah. not that good yeah, um, yeah. and if you Here's look yel- at the yellow was it a flop Yellowstone that mm, Yellowstone that never... too. Mm. So I mean there are some name brand titles they've got some good IP. Uh, if you look yeah. at the slide deck it's very skewed towards Paramount Plus like it's very very clear that they're putting their hope on Paramount Plus being the salvation and they talk about how there's room to raise the prices a bit. I think it's they showed their comparison. Obviously Netflix has actually gotten fairly ex- expensive compared to what it used to be so they say there's room for them to move their prices upwards. so for organic growth um, in their average revenue per user i i mean i'm just not buying it like the catalog is just yeah. not that great and mm-hmm. like it's just like out of the three of us okay pete we know you don't have it i don't have it declan do you have it no okay do you guys have
1: uh disney plus no no, Th- terrible no that terrible example That was the one I I did. I did cut recently because they have ESPN and they have a lot of sports docs and all of that. Yeah. But then I didn't watch it for like uh, almost a year and I was like, okay, I get rid of it.
2: So there's like a half
1: Netflix. I'm assuming we all have Netflix. So Netflix. Yeah.
2: I wouldn't be surprised if you, if we surveyed more people that Paramount's probably Mm -hmm. one of the afterthoughts for everyone. So betting the whole farm on that, I don't think the catalog's good enough as it is, but Mm -hmm. I mean, we'll see. Yeah.
0: Yeah. No, I, and the that's, that's demand. It, it. It really is. It's um, I again looking at it from this lens, I I don't see this as a long term play. Uh, you know, within that market itself, it it is not a top player, like you said, and it's really you're essentially betting on the acquisition going through and where those odds lie is kind of kind of where this opportunity presents itself, but again for it, for it to look really attractive you you want to be sure at least on the downside that you don't lose a lot of money i use the example of twitter where i think if it came to light and they were still a public company right now they would things would really be manifesting and their valuation would be significantly lower than it is and even elon musk has admitted that he overpaid for the business but fortunately for those people that decided to kind of bank on musk buying the business That uh, you know, they obviously benefited or benefited from that price appreciation, and so that's where there's always a risk. But if you're gonna take these chances chances in merger acquisitions, or sorry, um, merger acquisition arbitrages, then you want to be sure that at least on the downside, you're not gonna be screwed heavily because in the end, it when it you know it's announced that it doesn't go through. That stock price is going to drop, and by how much or how much depends really on the fundamentals of that business.
1: Mm-hmm. So, well,
0: Declan, you piqued mm-hmm. my interest. <laughs> at the fact that you're yeah. looking into this is certainly yeah.
2: making me more curious.
1: <laughs> I might have to take a, a bit of a, a deeper look at uh, Mr. Longhold over here looking at a short yeah. swing trade. Like, short, isn't there two years,
0: two years. <laughs> That's right.
2: Like, is yeah. this maybe a, you know, buy the rumor, sell the news kind of thing? Like maybe there's, mm-hmm. we have one acquisition and I'm sure there's a lot of people who would want the pieces of Paramount. Mm-hmm. I know they said, I keep seeing this name Ellison and I'm, I can only assume it means Larry Ellison. I didn't know mm-hmm. if, don't know if he's mm-hmm. in the media business or if he wants to be, but there is um, definitely other people interested in this. So could a formal acquisition offer bring in other people to the table do we get a little bit of mystery and news maybe there is a share price pop and we're out of there before it gets too far along that's that's something worth considering
0: yeah yeah no doubt and and it like Mm -hmm. sorry just like one final point on it too i think when i've looked at previous examples one thing that surprised me about this too is just the lack of a reaction a lot of the time when you see these Mm -hmm. announcements happen again the stock price shoots up and you're already like well there's not much of a window to even like benefit from this. It, it's really close. But the thing is that this one, you know, there there's a minor jump, but overall, like it, it's still at about a 50% premium to the valuation that Byron has proposed compared to what the current market cap is. And so nice. for that reason, again, it just makes it more attractive. Now, again, you, you got to be understand the risk and everything, but because of that potential and that lack of reaction, it makes it more attractive than something that after you hear the news, you see it shoot up 20% and you're like, oh, great. Well, there there goes my chance why didn't in hindsight why didn't i anticipate this before it happened so mm-hmm. that's kind well, of where Fortunately
2: I'm at. stocks only go up so there actually is no risk <laughs> so that... of course yeah of
0: course. so that <laughs> that should you should be reassured
2: yeah <laughs> i don't have any further okay. thoughts on paramount i still don't intend to subscribe though i will be watching <laughs> watching the stock price as my entertainment
0: <laughs> yeah <laughs> Likewise.
2: Okay, boys, this was a big episode. We covered a lot of Mm -hmm. ground here. I had fun at this. Um, Viewers watching, if you've made it this far, you are truly uh, true blue to the Edge brand. Thank you. A like would go a long way, and subscribe and share if you haven't already. This is Small Cap Kev, Trend Tracker, Mr. Fundamentals, Beyond the Edge, Episode 8, and we are out.